Hi, everyone. Welcome and thank you for tuning into The Animal Files, the podcast where we expose the truth, science, and spirituality of pet care and provide you with the wisdom and tools you need to raise happy and healthy companion animals. My name is Victoria, an animal spirituality facilitator and integrative energy practitioner. And my name is Miranda, an animal health technologist and pet care safety expert. Let's dive in, shall we? So we're going to talk about the different benefits and some of the facts that you need to know when heading into this arena of spaying and neutering. So what are some of the benefits that you have seen in your career as an animal health technologist when it comes to spaying and neutering animals? Well, first, I just want to specify that these are benefits that are common for cats, dogs, and even rabbits. Rabbits can also be spayed. We're not going to go into detail on rabbits, but just to keep in mind that that, that is an option for them as well. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest benefits is that it improves your animal's average lifespan mm-hmm. quite a great deal. I mean, there are other factors that play into what their lifespan is going to be, you know, as well as what other type of care they're getting and whether there's any genetic stuff going on. So there, there is those factors as well, but it has been found that spayed and neutered animals tend to live quite a bit longer than unneutered and unspayed animals. Mm. I did not know how much I know I've seen it improve the quality of life, but maybe it's because I've had all my cat, all my cats for the most part, except for two. And we'll get into that later were spayed and neutered Mm -hmm. and they all lived except for one lived over 14 years. I had two that were 19. I had three that were 17. I mean, they live good long lives. So I don't know if it's because I got them fixed or because I'm just an awesome cat mom. I don't know. (laughs) But but, um, I did not know that. So is there a scale that you've seen that maybe how many years it might add to them or is it individual towards each animal? Well, there were some percentages that I saw. I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but I'm thinking that it was somewhere around 20 to 25% increase. Oh, that's pretty significant. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Yeah. So don't quote me on the percentage because I don't know that off the top of my head, but it sounds reasonable to me though. Yeah. It really does sound it would be reasonable to me. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the other things? Well, one of the reasons that their lifespan can be increased is because the surgery can reduce the risk of infectious diseases reproductive cancers, and pyometra. The infectious disease that is the biggest concern is FIV, which stands for feline immunodeficiency virus. This is common in unneutered cats, particularly if they are allowed to roam or if they escape out of your home and end up roaming. A lot of cats that are roaming outside, male or female, You know, they could be strays or they could be people's pets that are being allowed to roam. But the ones that are strays are more likely not going to be healthy. They're more likely going to have various infectious diseases and that can be easily transmitted. And I just want to say that with FIV, because some people might be concerned, they might be comparing it to HIV 
and worry that, oh, if they come into contact with a cat that has FIV, that they could be infected with it, if they, particularly if they have an immunocompromised system. And maybe they may think vice versa. So I just want to ensure you that the FIV and the HIV are species specific. They, can, yes. they can't be transmitted between species. Only a cat can get an FIV. Yes. And only a human can get HIV. And cats do not have HIV. So <laughs> again, another myth. We're, we're dispelling lots of myths. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, think about it. I mean, it, it does work in the body very similarly as HIV. So it will break down the, the Im- immune system in the body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you want to make sure that you can keep your animal free of that. Mm-hmm. And the best way to do that is keep them inside and get them neutered. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Very easy. Very easy. <laughs> now, some of the reproductive cancers, and um, I have a story about pyrometra, but mm-hmm. give us a little bit more of a breakdown on the different cancers that can be reduced by spaying and neutering. So the, the two most common ones are the ovarian cancer in females and testicular cancer in males. But basically any of the reproductive organs are potentially affected. So it could affect the prostate, it could affect the, the uterine, like could be uterine cancer. So there's a lot of different cancers that are a fairly high potential in the reproductive system when spaying and neutering are not chosen as an option. Yeah. Those high levels of hormones that we mentioned earlier, those cause havoc to the bottom. When you have too much of those hormones for too long, it can actually, even with humans, we have too much estrogen at a certain age. We women are more likely to get reproductive cancers. If men have too much testosterone, they can end up having some of their reproductive. It's the same basic physiology. So Getting your animal fixed will reduce those. It won't get rid of them in a hundred percent because the hormones are still a little bit minutely will be in the body, mm-hmm. but it will protect them from the ravages of these cancers. I would have to say, like mm-hmm. what the prevalence of them. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to talk about pyrometra. If you are not familiar with this disease, I can give you uh, my firsthand experience with it. I had a cat. We'll talk about why she was not fixed in a little bit, but she was not fixed and she had been going in heat cycles a lot more so than I think she should have, but uh, (laughs) she was an indoor cat, never went outside. We rescued her from the outside. She ended up around the age of about 13. She started getting sick. And we didn't really know why. We found out that pyrometra, this is the first time I've ever heard of it, is when the uterus, the fallopian tubes, fill up with pus. It's an infection caused by excessive heat cycles. Mm-hmm. Do I have that correct mm-hmm. in my definition? Mm-hmm. My cat ended up getting pyrometra and she almost died. Like it was fast. It was a fast infection. And we had to do an emergency hysterectomy. And it was very scary. It was very scary. And I'm sure extremely painful for her. Mm -hmm, I'm sure. 
there's a part of me that had this guilt that, oh, I should have gotten it fixed earlier. But then again, when we get to the part, we'll talk about exceptions. There was a reason why she was not fixed. It wasn't my not wanting her fixed. That was not my reason. My, my reason had to do with her uh, physiology and her health. But the pyrometra, whew, you don't ever want to deal with that. And so if you can avoid that at all costs, because if your cat is spayed, she will not have pyrometra. <laughs> it just won't happen because she's not going to be going through the heat cycle. She's not going to have a uterus full of pus. She's not going to have fallopian tubes full of pus. Mm -hmm. It's one of those illnesses that you can 100% prevent mm -hmm. by getting your animal spayed. Mm -hmm. And that's just my experience so yeah, you want to reduce that at all costs and you can get rid of it. Yeah. So now we want to go into the health and behavior facts. And the one that I have such a passion about is overpopulation issues. Oh my gosh. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. It just breaks my heart knowing how many animals are wallowing in shelters and rescue societies and how many animals are getting euthanized because they're not finding a home. This is the current number that I've seen, but they euthanize five to eight million animals every year. That's crazy. I'm just going to let you know a little bit about my experience. I, I worked temporarily in a euthanasia section, and I had believed prior to that that the only animals that were euthanized in these shelters were ones that were quite old or had some health issue that could not be treated. I was very saddened by the fact that there are many animals that are being euthanized simply because they haven't found homes. They overstayed their welcome at the shelter and they had to make room for new incoming animals. And this is like a constant cycle that is happening. So basically healthy juvenile or young cats and dogs were getting euthanized because nobody wanted them. Mm -hmm. And people so have a tendency to choose kittens and puppies over more mature dogs and cats because puppies and kittens are cute. We really need to think about what we're doing, what our choices are when we are dealing with our animals, that it's not just about getting them just because they're, they're cute and cuddly. We really need to talk, think about the responsibility of caring for an animal. Yeah, because an animal is not entertainment for you. I'm going to get on a quick soapbox here. It is not about you. It is about the animal and what is best for the animal. If you think you're going to get an animal just to make your life better, because you have a hole in your heart or you're lonely or whatever, you are not being a responsible pet owner and animal guardian. It is not about entertainment. It is not how to make your life better. It's how you can make their life better. And I don't care. Come after me if you think that's wrong. But I am going to be right there on that soapbox when it comes to that. It is not about you. It is about them. And I will say it every single episode. And now I will step down and you can continue. <laughs> 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 
hey, I got to stand on my truth, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> and also, there's one thing, one thing I heard, and this is going to sound ridiculous to you guys, and this is going to go with this. One cat, one cat can produce five million cats in seven years by their descendants Mm -hmm. with their average litter size. Think of that. So the average five to 8 million animals euthanized every year and one cat can produce 5 million. Mm -hmm. Think about how many cats are out there. Get your animals spayed and neutered. Mm -hmm. Just put that in there. (laughs) (laughs) So we've mentioned this last episode last show we've mentioned it earlier in this show we're going to mention it again roaming animals particularly cats dogs usually are not roaming unless they tend to escape from your yard or out of your front door or if potentially dropped off off, you might be an irresponsible owner or something like that and you're not caring what what they do but the problems with roaming As we mentioned before, there's so many risks involved for them. And one of the things we hadn't really mentioned before was when they're not neutered, it's particularly with the male cats and dogs, when they're not neutered, there is a high potential for fighting to occur between other dogs and between other cats. And when this happens, this increases their risk of being injured or, Mm -hmm. and, or develop, well, and developing infections from the injuries. And the injuries yes. could be very serious, depending, you know, if there's been biting involved, they, they could be seriously injured from that. But even if it's a minor injury, if you don't realize that they have been bitten or scratched or something, then an infection can develop as a result of that. Yeah. The higher levels of hormones make right. them aggressive. Yes. And then, of course, as we mentioned before, there's the risk of trauma and injury from vehicles, the risk of poisonings, the risk of catnappings, the risk of weather-related issues, like if it's inclement weather, the diseases that we kind of mentioned, and also the risks of contact with wildlife. Yes. Yeah. And especially depending on where you live will depend on how much wildlife that you're going to be aware of. Here in North America, there's an awful lot of animals out there that will hurt your roaming cat mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> without a second thought. Mm-hmm. Not that they think they're on instinct, <laughs> but, but still. Um, but yeah, so yeah, you don't want your animals roaming and an intact animal is more likely to escape from your house. Even if you say, oh, but it's an indoor animal. Well, you know what? Unless you have a unique setup, it's very easy for an animal to slip out Mm -hmm. to satisfy the instinctual need to mate. That's a very strong desire. You don't want roaming animals. You don't want to have to deal with the vet bills from a major fight or a car accident or disease if they live through the disease. Just get your animals spayed and neutered. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, spraying and territory marking. Now, there can be a debate on this as well. Neutering and spaying are not necessarily going to prevent these issues, but it reduces the chances of them. 
with if you get it done at an early enough stage. Yes. Because spraying and territory marking. So a cat who, a female cat who is in heat can, they don't necessarily spray, but they could urinate more. They mark, they mark their territory. Yeah. Yeah. And male cats and dogs, they can end up spraying higher up to sort of also mark their territory. So it can be in both males and females. This is ultimately caused by the hormones. However, if the surgery is delayed and you don't get it done until maybe they're two years old or something, then this hormone-caused behavior can develop into a habit-based behavior. Yeah. So even once you have the reduction of the hormones from the surgery, they may still continue this behavior because it's become a habit for them. And just to, to mention, females... I think if I'm not, if I'm mistaken, please correct me, Miranda, but I believe that when females mark, it's more of a here I am, come find me. Yes, exactly. As opposed to the males are like, here I am, stay away. Exactly. Yes. Okay. All (laughs) right. I just wanted to make sure I got that right. (laughs) And the same thing pretty much holds true with the mounting, but mounting is not necessarily a hormone caused behavior either. This could also be a dominating behavior as well. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you can have, you can even have, I even seen females actually have this mounting problem. Like, like that doesn't even work, but it's a domination thing. It's an actual behavior thing. I'm, I am number one on the chain and I am going to teach you that I rule you. (laughs) It's kind of like the thoughts like, no, no, you're submissive. I'm dominant Mm -hmm. and this is what I'm going to do. Now it may start because of the hormones, but pretty much most alpha, I'm not even a big believer in the whole alpha male thing, but that type of cat or dog may do it regardless because it just has to be the boss. Mm -hmm. So why don't you talk about what it's like to deal with the symptoms that are related to an animal being heat and heat. I know you have experience yeah. with cats, not so much with the dogs, but yeah, no, not with dogs. I don't actually, I do not know what it's like to have a dog in heat, but I do know with my cats, I've had two cats in my long life of being a cat mom that had remained intact for various reasons that we'll get into later. The actual cycle. Not only is it stressful for the owner, for myself, because literally I would probably say about nine to 10 months a year, you're dealing with a heat cycle every couple of weeks. It's not something that it's only once in a while. It's a consistent cycle that happens. It causes when, when my cats have gone into heat, it is highly stressful for them. They get anxious. They can have anxiety because they can't, it's almost like they can't scratch that itch. They don't know what that itch is. So they don't think like humans. So they're not saying, oh, I have to mate or, and this will go away. It has nothing to do with that. It's just this anxiety that they don't know what's going on in their body, but they know what they need to do to stop it for that moment. And I can honestly tell you sometimes when I have watched and dealt with my cats in heat, I, I feel for them. 
I really do because they are not, they're not happy. They really are not happy. A heat cycle does not make a happy cat. A heat cycle is geared towards suffering and stress. So they do some type of act that will stop it. It's what nature is all about. It's what instinct is all about. It's what primitive creation is all about. It's not fun. And I, when my cats have gone into heat, I've actually had to, I don't sleep much. I have to constantly distract them and give them reasons to be happy, play with them. It's really not a good thing. So when we were talking about the myths, it's definitely not something that you want to have your cat go through, mm-hmm. you know, just because you think they need to. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's not, it's stressful. It's, it's highly stressful for the animal. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of similar, very similar experience for, for dogs as well. They don't, they don't have the, the yowling that cats tend to have, but what you are going to see, they are also going to feel very agitated, nervous, and potentially have aggressive behavior because of what they're feeling in their body. And you're also going to see them urinating more frequently. So you may end up having to clean up messes, but on top of the urinating, they have a discharge that comes from their vulva, which depending everywhere that they sit, there's going to be a spot there, a messy spot that you're going to end up having to deal with. So, you know, having the surgery done relieves a lot of discomfort for them, both mentally as well as physically. And with cats... It's not as messy because they are obsessive cleaners. (laughs) Like I have never had to worry about discharge on my cat because they take care of it. Dogs don't do that. Mm -hmm. Dogs don't cleanse themselves the way a cat does. So it's going to be messy and you're going to have to have diapers and it's it's like, it's just not, it's avoid it. Yeah. (laughs) And you may also end up dealing with sleepless nights. (laughs) Yes. And I can attest to that. I have personal experience of sleeping very little when my animal is in heat. We're coming up towards the end and we want to just briefly talk about a couple of the other things. We want to talk about the facts about cost, what exceptions there may be. I'm going to have a few things to say about that. And also when we should, we should get them spayed and neutered. So let's just briefly talk about costs. We talked about a couple things in the beginning about, Mm -hmm. you know, certificates you can get through rescue organizations. So I'll let you take that and you can Mm -hmm. give us an overview. Right. So I've heard people complain to me and Reddit in different places and that as well, that the spay and neuter surgeries are too expensive. And they complain about what the vet clinics charge for it. It does vary quite a bit depending on the cl- what clinic you go to. So you can do a pricing comparison between the clinics, but there's also a lot of clinics that are out there and programs that are out there that can help to reduce the cost of the surgery. And particularly if you are low income or have some reason why you aren't able to get the surgery done, then you can do some paperwork and prove that you are in that category. But the other side of that is that having the surgery done ahead of time is going to save you money in the long run, because then you're not 
going to end up having to seek treatment for injuries, infections, and cancers, at least not as a result of not having the surgery done. That could still potentially happen because of other reasons, but the chances of it are much less likely. Yes. And I can tell you, we talked about the infections. That's really, pyrometra was very expensive surgery. And I could have just gotten her spayed. Well, I couldn't have, but if she was healthy, I could have gotten her spayed and saved a crap ton of money because I ended up having to deal with the medicines uh, longer than usual surgery, all of the pre-care and post-care. Yeah, it was a lot of money. It was a mm-hmm. lot of money that I that could have been avoided. Mm-hmm. And the other thing in terms of investing in having the surgery done is that it can reduce a lot of behavior issues, which if if these behavior issues end up developing, you could end up having to spend a lot of time, feeling a lot of frustration, and potentially having to spend money to get these behavior de- issues dealt with. It's just an all-around beneficial choice to have the surgery done. And also, if you have, if you maybe are concerned about that it's too far or too difficult for you to get to a location that offers the surgery, there is starting to be a development of mobile clinics. So you may be able to, depending on where you are, of course, but you may be able to have that option as well. Yeah. And some of the low cost clinics are, they're connected to some of these rescue organizations that might be in your area. So Mm -hmm. they may have facilities that you can also look into. Mm -hmm. There's options, people, always options. So I'm just going to quickly go through one of the exceptions that I just recently learned about that there is some information out there. Supposedly, it's based on research, but I have yet to find verification of that at this point. But there is a suggestion that the surgery, that having the spay or neuter surgery can actually cause health issues instead of preventing them. And that this might be leading pet parents to decide against the surgery. Now, I have no validation. I I don't know what the validity of this information is. But the claim is that the role of the hormones in the body contribute to muscle mass, strength, and the formation of the joints, so the the working of the joints, and that when we reduce those hormones, because they're not completely gone, as we said before, with the surgery, that when there's less hormones in the body, that there is less muscle development, that the bones might not develop as well, and that it can be related to joint issues. And so that the body might not be as strong and vital as it would be if the surgery wasn't done. I have no knowledge of whether there's any truth in this. Yeah, I think there's one big, big, big evidentiary proof, all the millions and millions of animals out there that are living fully healthy, vibrant thriving lives who have been spayed and neutered. That's your, that's the best proof you need. Mm -hmm. This may be out there and it may be every animal is an individual. It may on some animals might be that I I, don't know. We can't find the truth for you. Mm -hmm. It's not 
outwardly available, but what is available is all of the millions of animals that are living healthy lives because they were spayed and neutered. Mm-hmm. And uh, before we wrap up, we're just about done here. Before we wrapped up, I want to give you, I, I've had two cats that have not been spayed. And I want to tell you why. It wasn't because I didn't think they should be. My current cat right now is not spayed because she has feline leukemia virus. And having a surgery, now my boy, who also is feline leukemia virus positive, males, it's a much simpler surgery. The females, it's a very invasive surgery. So having her spayed opens her up to infection. And because she's got feline leukemia virus, and we'll eventually have a con- have a conversation down the line on feline leukemia virus because it is a pet project of mine. But because she has that, she is more susceptible to having an infection take over her body and kill her, which is the reason why she is not fixed right now. My other cat was only four and a half pounds. She was very tiny. I don't know if she was a runt of a litter, but she was four and a half pounds. And my opinion is I prefer to have cats to be at least seven pounds before I put them under anesthesia, unless I can't control that. She eventually had to have surgery when she had the pyrometra. And it was a very delicate surgery. And she luckily came out of it okay. But I never got her fixed because she was only four and a half pounds. So that is extenuating circumstances. It is not the norm. Same with my feline leukemia virus cat. It is not the norm. So I want to let you know that there are some exceptions out there, but do your research, talk to your vet because the vet is your most important resource when figuring out this decision. Mm-hmm. We're giving you all of these tools. We're giving you all of these facts. We're dispelling myths for you, but ultimately it's between you and your healthcare team, your veterinary team to make the right choice for you and your family and most importantly, your animal. Mm-hmm. So that that's my whole thing on exceptions. And so last thing we want to talk about is timing. When should we, if we've made the decision, to get our animals fixed? When should we decide to get them fixed? Like say if we had them as kittens or puppies or what is the norm? Mm -hmm. Well, there seems to be a lot of debate out there on when animals should actually get it done or have the surgery done. I think that I have heard it being done as early as eight weeks old. Mm, That to me is too young, but that's my opinion. Some people might say, to wait until they're older, like maybe six months, eight months, depending. I think the average agreement seems to be around five months at this point. But that's, again, that's something that you need to discuss with your your veterinarian and see what they suggest. And then also probably do your own research to find out what the pros and cons are to having it done early as opposed to having it done later. There's, I mean, there's a lot of things. I got my boy, I got him neutered at five and a half months. And I did that because of my Maisie, who is her sister, because she had a reaction with the feline leukemia virus early on. There was no thought of her to get pregnant because a cat can get pregnant before six months old. 
So since Frankie was four and uh, five and a half months, we figured if he was more stable, we got him fixed because it's a simpler surgery in order to protect Maisie. Just because they're brother and sister does not mean they will not be father and mother. <laughs> That's something that happens in the animal kingdom. So we got him fixed a little early. I tend to be around the sixth month unless I have females in play. And then I might go towards the younger just to be on the safe side. But yeah, talk to your vet, find out what's best for you. And I hope that this show has given you lots of stuff that you can think about, lots of tools that you can add to your question toolbox to give to your vet. And I hope we dispelled the myths for you. If you have any questions, feel free to join our Animal Files community on Facebook. It's called The Animal Files Community. Just do a search for it and we can further the conversation on that. So that is it for today. Any last minute thoughts or are we ready to sign off? I think we've covered as much as we need to cover today. Yeah, I think we gave you an awful lot. <laughs> I think that's our that's our MO. We're just like, let's just let's just regurgitate all the information at you. <laughs> but yeah, so thank you for sticking with us. I know this is kind of a tough subject and we talked about some things that our subjects are a little bit more controversial. We just want to give you all of the options so you can find out what's best for you and your family. That is it for us today. Bye for now. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to rate, review, and recommend the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want some more great info, be sure to check out www.theanimalfilespodcast.com.